0: This is Ida.
1: And I'm Sam. And welcome back to our podcast, Over a Cup, where so you can engage with them to
0: gain more experience, perspective, and to have a little fun. Today's guest is someone who is a fan of dark humor and avid reader, jack of all trades, and is into sculpting and basketball. A fan of intellectual debate and philosophy, and that's why he's here with us today. Welcome, Pulkit Kishore.
2: Hi, it's nice to be here.
0: Hi. <laughs> so, okay? What do you
1: have in your cup?
2: I have a glass of warm water. Yeah.
1: <laughs> of course you do. I, I think oh, it's very, a good drink monsoon. to have
2: during the winter time.
1: What winter? <laughs> <laughs> the parliament says it's monsoon right now. It's monsoon. Yeah. I
2: say this coming from Minnesota, bro.
0: <laughs> Disappointment.
1: <laughs> Can I put at least lemon water in it? Homeopathy, um, okay. homeopathy so, is a whole debate on its own. Yeah. No,
2: right? So, yeah. the concept Do of homeopathy like is is? To, no. no, of course not. As a My science student,
1: a I would never like, stoop down to that level. It does not make any sense. How does water molecules remember the property of something right? completely? Yes, like yeah. a million parts. De- it, it doesn't make sense. It's basically the placebo on the other,
2: effect. On, on the other it? hand it's 98 percent ethanol so
1: yeah but it still doesn't get you anywhere you just end up paying a lot of cash for nothing yeah that's
2: true <laughs> dude my grandmother did some course on it so she feeds me oh idea. she did a whole course on it <laughs> right,
0: yeah. that's why
2: i can't like go against her because then it's <laughs> like going against her education so oh wow
0: but like homeopathy comes with diets also. I remember I used to get homeopathy done for some stuff, and uh, they have some insane diets to follow.
1: Yeah,
0: really? Yeah. And timing
1: is really yeah. crucial. You can't skip a certain timing.
0: Oh. Yeah, like they won't let you eat sweet and sugar together. Uh, what? Uh, sweet and salt. <laughs> edit, edit that out. <laughs> yeah. They won't let you eat sweet and salt together. So you can't have like dessert after dinner.
1: But you can do it like a Bengali and have sweet before dinner. <laughs> I noticed that know. work.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, if you're Gujarati, don't get homeopathy dal. You can't, um, you know, mix together and eat. But
1: don't Gujaratis put sugar in their dal? Like they just screw up. Exactly.
0: They don't have before or after. They mean all together. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So homeopathy doesn't allow that also. You're not supposed to mix things together and eat it.
1: I mean, I, I understand that. I hate it when people put like this like the food touches each other on like the plate. I don't like it, but
0: getting into what we're here for. Um what was the thing that got you into philosophy? Like what was the first thing that you started off with in philosophy?
2: So I used to do debate in the United States and over there, um, there are three types of debate, public forum, policy, and Lincoln Douglas. Well, there are four types, but the main three are those. And policy debate actually combines a lot of elements of philosophy and a lot of elements of regular old fashioned debate with facts. So to in order to like have a proper argumentation and like understand policy debate, you had to know a lot about philosophy so one of our cases or the evidences evidences that we used were from famous philosophers, such as Baudrillard or Bataille, sometimes uh, Nietzsche. So that was my first experience with debate where I first learned about Baudrillard's simulation. Yeah. And then I just got hooked after learning more about it.
0: Um, for me, I think it was uh, Nietzsche too. Um, nihilism was. Do you say nihilism or nihilism? I've heard people say both.
1: So nihilism is
2: nihilism.
1: actually Nietzsche, I
2: think. Nietzsche, probably. I've never got the pronunciation right.
0: I've heard. To, I've heard people say Nietzsche also, like, because in German we
1: don't say like if you have e at the end you don't say e you say a e, so like that's why you say Danke. Mm. So, I mean, technically it's not wrong. I think German pronunciation would be that actually
0: okay so yeah nihilism was what got me really into philosophy before that of course i think um all the basic theories everyone's heard of like you know um realism and romanticism this kind of stuff that comes up in art and literature frequently uh, but nihilism really got me into buying books on it and then reading it properly and you know making notes and then that's what got me into going into other spheres of philosophy What about you Sam?
1: I mean I think I'm probably like the most mainstream if I may say so out of them all because like my first um, exposure to philosophy was Rene Descartes and there was the Mm -hmm. whole duality of mind and body and I mean I think I got into it when I was like 10 or 11 so it like really messed me up. I'm like am I really a mind with a body? Am I a body with (laughs) a mind? So like I mean obviously you kind of grew from there because you can't look at one thing in philosophy and be like okay this person came up with it because you can't say like idealism is maybe only um, Hegel's thing it's really not Plato came up with it first but did Plato really come up with it it first you don't know so you just have to like read and read and read so it's just really it's like a vortex you get into it like a little
0: you, you get a little close and then you just get sucked in so so much to learn yeah What you said about the age, um, I thought was interesting because I think a lot of times we don't even realize that we're believers of certain philosophies because we don't know those philosophies exist. And so you don't necessarily have to have knowledge about philosophy to, you know, be a part of it.
1: Which is also why I've never understood this whole concept of being like, this person's a father, this school of thought, or this person's like, this father's, this school of thought. Like, I feel like it's really hard to pinpoint, especially when we had so many people in our like history who come up with so many things and not everything is westernized, right? Like, yeah. And a lot of the times in the East, we, we come up with things before they did and they still get credit for it. So, who really came up with what we don't know? Yeah. That way I feel like pretty strongly about like Eastern philosophy, because a lot of hard people, especially like you know, in this whole LA culture sort of thing, like or oh, connect with yourself and like, you know, be more kind to yourself. It's not really stemming from Western philosophy. It's very yeah. Eastern in nature. Mm.
0: So when, yeah. like uh, you read of, Ikigai, right? Sorry? Yeah, Ikigai. Took, yeah, so I think in Ikigai, they stress a lot on that. They're like most of the book is pretty generic stuff, but uh, I think it feels generic to us because we've been surrounded by that school of thought. And I thought about this later after telling you that, no, that book isn't that great. But I think for Western people, it's really isn't that, um, it's new to them to think of community and to think of yourself and to be kind and to eat properly and to exercise. But this stuff is really part of our, like part of our philosophy naturally in the East.
1: Exactly. I hear a lot about, you know, Taoism coming up. I mean, it's been around for thousands of years, right? People just yes. word it differently and then write books on it and get rich. But that way I see a lot of it happening even with like, you know, our culture. Like for example, there was like, you know, how we use um, like paper plates made out of leaves and stuff. And yeah. like this one white guy comes to India, he looks at it and he just goes abroad and uh, sells it off and gets a lot of money. When really we've been using it for years and years and years and no one cared. So. Yeah, Yeah, sucks, but that's just, we never got credit for it because we never thought it was a big deal to talk about. Huh,
0: huh, and sometimes
1: yeah, same thing with like, I feel even with the Southeast Asian cultures, like they have this a lot of, because they were like rampage with war a lot, especially like Korea and Vietnam, right? So they have this whole culture of preserving every part of the body or like using every part of the body of like, you know, meat and like earlier people used to be like oh disgusting they put like you know um intestines in their food and they put the brain and whatnot but now like it's becoming like a craze like people want to try as like you know the wild things and experiment but you were the same people to call it gross so i don't know
0: yeah yeah you were saying something perfect?
2: oh yeah i just like um There's one interesting, like they say that European colonization took over the world and how they ended up commercializing anything we found that was localized, like what Sam said. Like there was, um, I, I was just reading about this, like I had one instance when Ethiopia was under colonized, was going to get colonized. They actually fought back and this was when like people had guns and all, and, right, like when the Europeans, I think it was Portuguese uh, colonizers who had guns and Ethiopia over them, they, and they resorted to trading, which ultimately decimated the Ethiopian population, I mean, the Ethiopian economy, mm-hmm. because all their goods were then just taken out, commercialized and made non-unique, like their culture was Kind of destroyed because of that because it was so widespread because of that kind of trading because the colonizers used to like trade gold like guns for Ethiopian goods such as artifacts or something else so I just find it interesting how um like there's this commercial commercialization of native products which ultimately just ruins their value so um yeah It's just like a thought about how our philosophy changes because of that because even though it originates in one place, it gets westernized and then we start reappropriating those Western values of the same philosophy.
0: Yeah, and I think often when the philosophies get picked up, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. When they get picked up from the East to the West, the meaning also changes. And then years later, it comes back to us and we think that it's uh, correct. But when you really look back, there's just some difference. Like with nirvana, the word itself, um, in, like in the English dictionary, it means this enlightenment and happiness and extreme joy and attainment of a certain level. But nirvana, um, according to Buddha, didn't mean that. It just meant nothingness so it's just like going to a place it's not even going to anywhere it's just reaching a place of nothingness it's it's sort of the oldest school of nihilism itself
1: existentialism is some like one school of thought that i have the i think the biggest pull towards and i simultaneously hate it and love it so much i mean it really does like make me think a lot about like what's even the point of doing anything But at the same time, aside from philosophy, just like given the person that you are, can you really sit, like, and not do anything with your life? But then again, you can have that constant voice like this doesn't matter. So, I mean, what even comes afterwards, right? That's like completely different tangent too. But what really comes afterwards?
2: Right. Like, yeah, about existentialism. That was actually one of the early philosophies that I was introduced to. One one basic point of existentialism is that we are born into a world without, which is nonsensical, right? Like, it makes no sense. What are we doing here? Why are we here? But one other positive impact of existentialism, which a lot of people tend to forget, is that it still drives the person as it believes that the person has their own sense of capability. Like, even if the world does not tell them to do something, they will do it innately they will still feel a purpose of being a human or feeling emotions having relationships even if the world is nonsensical the person will try to create sense out of that chaos which i think is a pretty valid point about existentialism that a lot of people tend to mis misinterpret or forget and um i think it's i think it's really actually pretty cool how that works because it can so apply to especially this year, like 2020, where everything that's gone wrong has gone wrong, right? Like, the later games were tied yesterday. I mean, or two days ago, but what I'm saying is, though there's a nonsense world, it still believes that a person can commit change on their own, Mm -hmm. which I thought it was still a pretty cool point to, like, remember, because the nature of existence, not just the nature of not it's exploring what existence means to a basic level
1: oh Oh, yeah the beauty about existentialism though is that like you know how people say you can get a hundred compliments but the second someone says something that's a little bit negative it all goes away I think that's what I feel about existentialism because when you first look at it it's all like you know nothing really matters right and like what's the point of doing anything when you're really just going to become dust and like, how does it matter if you fuel yourself? But I think that's also the beauty of existentialism. Because, I mean, on your deathbed, do you really want to die with a regret? Like, shit, I could have done... And I swear. Or like, when you, on your deathbed, you're like, oh no, I could have done things better. And I think existentialism is kind of like an intellectual way of saying YOLO.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. That's because, you know, someone said this, that existentialism precedes um, essence. And that's like, how i really understood existentialism as in yes there is this angst that is uh, deep rooted in the philosophy of existentialism but there's also the self-awareness that you as an individual exist independently um and there will be some sort of consciousness you live with despite the you know the fact that now that you know that the world doesn't matter you will as Perkins said you will continue doing things that yeah, matter exactly. to you yeah
2: yeah that and the problem with that is, um you know, like if, if existentialism in itself sort of has a negative connotation these days because of the introduction of nihilism and people are like, oh, death, cool. So <laughs> it's just that um, it's, it's primarily the investigation of the self. That's what existential means at its core. Yeah. It can be a negative self also. If you choose to do bad things, that's on you. It's not that society forced you to do it because society doesn't exist. Existentialism says that society, even if it exists, it's nonsense. Like anything could happen. So if you choose to do a bad thing, you are the one doing the bad thing, not society forcing you to do it, which is a pretty conflicting thought because we see how society influences a lot of people's decisions, right? Like you have the patriarchy or like racism a lot of that is society's fault with and compared to this existentialism concept it's kind of conflicting so that that is one problem i've had with this theory is that yeah
0: have any of you read don quixote
2: i have read like an abridged version like a long time ago
0: (laughs) i think that was also something that uh, really helped me understand existentialism i haven't read the whole thing but i've read excerpts of it Mm -hmm. um read it if you're into existentialism and um this it's about this knight who um has these ideas of he's a self-appointed knight who has these insane ideas of chivalry and um he breaks out into these monologues with his um, sidekick, whose name is Sancho Fanzo. And um, it really touches upon existentialism. Esquire. It's one of the first uh, fictional works to do so.
2: Yeah, and it's actually a pretty funny book. So okay. <laughs> if you're into that kind of humor, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like the The Windmills, I think that's yeah. one of its most famous scenes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's one of the most iconic scenes where he decides that the windmills are monsters and he wants to fight against them.
2: Yeah. So that also relates to how no one told him that the windmills are monsters, right? But he thinks so.
1: Also, just to touch upon the topic that we were talking about before, I think another important thing to understand is that Nishe was actually a really... um, up. Like He wasn't in his mind for a majority of his life. He was a really... Um, unhealthy man. He had a lot of diseases, especially towards the um, towards his uh, old age and before he died. And he really wasn't in his right mind. He became super delusional. He started like, showing schizophrenic um, tendencies. And he just, he wasn't the same, basically. He started off as an angry man and he just went down a spiral of insanity. So I think it's important to understand also that philosophy isn't really written in stone. If someone says something, doesn't mean that okay, this is like one school of thought and that's the only way to take it. And that's, and like either you disagree with it or you agree with it. I feel like you can take a school of thought and kind of mold it to your own um, understandings in your lifestyle because nihilism doesn't have to be that, oh, the world is, uh, everything in the world is redundant, God doesn't exist and nothing really matters. But looking at it more optimistically, shouldn't that give you more freedom to express yourself because what's really stopping you, right? Like, I mean, it's better to live without regrets, I feel. And I think optimistic nihilism is a school of thought that I have seen emerging, but people don't talk about it because like I said, negativity always overshines
0: positivity. But yeah, like, like, I want to clarify that. Okay, wait, okay, you go
2: first. Okay, yeah, so um, yeah, exactly that. Um, it's just a small thing. Like nihilism is basically existentialism if you forget the latter part. Yeah. nihilism is basically what the individual wouldn't do even if society told him yeah do whatever you want yeah continue
0: oh yeah okay i was saying that um but pessimism and nihilism are two different things which i think people today confuse as the same thing because um while nihilism isn't optimism it's different from pessimism in a way that you don't um you don't live in despair. In pessimism, you realize that there's despair in society and then you live in it. Anyone who's a nihilist tends to be complacent towards uh, society. And yeah, you yeah. tend to be in the more igno- ignorant part of it. Exactly. So in a way, it is positive because you're not, you're just ignoring everything that's around you and just moving on with life.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. like one thing, um, if, if nihilism is a flat surface, pessimism as a whole. That's kind of how, like pessimism is, like if nihilism is anything can walk on it, nothing will matter. Yeah. Pessimism is a hole where someone falls into and can't oh, get nice. out.
0: Oh, nice.
2: So that, that's just kind of how I think of it. But yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, there's that uh, famous line about pessimism also, right? That um, if a pessimistic man fell into a well and someone offered to help, they'd say, why bother? Um, in the well, out of the yeah. well, we're all going to die anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: When Nyanism would probably be like, screw the well, I'm going to just go drown in something else. No,
0: they'd just feel the
2: well like, exist.
1: So they'd forget, they'd well yeah, see the well doesn't exist.
2: I can just walk out of here, but I choose not to.
0: I choose not to. Yeah. Screw wells. <laughs> but also like Nietzsche, he, um, he also talked about how anyone who's uh, really into nihilism and really into existentialism uh, could lead towards the death of society.
2: One of his other theories was absurdism, <laughs> which, is, which is basically kind of nihilism, but to the extreme. It's not a very well-known theory, so, um, but what it basically says is kind of like um, and actually, it wasn't it wasn't nihilism to start with, but it's been associated to nihilism. Um, actually, a dude called Albert Camus, I think, uh, started it. Camus, yeah. But yeah, basically, it's saying that um, it's, it's kind of the opposite of NYSHA with the same environment. So the world is meaningless, but people still want to people still desire meaning. Yeah. So they attempt fine. to find meaning by doing whatever, but because the world inherently is meaningless, they are bound to fail. But the whole journey to that meaning, even if they fail, is meaningful. Like there's a, there's a book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Yeah. It's a very popular book. Um. So I I actually read it when I was in seventh grade and it just flew over my head. I I just thought it was a dude getting some treasure, but now that I read it again. actually talks about absurdism because the journey that that dude takes like the boy takes even though he doesn't find a lot of meaning like he finds symbolic meaning at the end he doesn't find what he was looking for but that search is what gives a meaning so that is another really cool theory associated to nihilism which is relatively not that known so Mm -hmm. i just wanted to add that
1: absurdism basically is gonna talked about embracing the fact that society is what it is, right? Yeah. That's what I thought it meant. So
2: it is it is embracing that, and but it's, it's also saying... Oh, sorry, continue. Yeah,
1: continue. So absurdism is basically embracing of the human condition, and nihilism is kind of rejection of the human condition, and existentialism is kind of like, create your own human condition. So I think that's like
0: the three distinctions, because they overlap a lot, but Maybe. they're really not the same. Yeah. That's because Nietzsche himself wrote about both existentialism and nihilism. That's why they overlap so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Or rather, he popularized it. Yeah.
0: Because...
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I find hedonism really interesting. And I don't agree with it necessarily, though. Because... So, like, the first time I heard of hedonism was through the example that, for example, someone has a breakup. Um, Oh, no, the example is that, for example, someone's cheating on you. Um, If a third party is a hedonist, they will not tell the person who's getting cheated on that you're getting cheated on. Because currently you're in a happy state. And um, if you get to know you, you'd be in a really sad state. So your pleasure content would reduce. And so hedonists would say that is, that is not something you should do. So they'd rather keep the person who's getting cheated on in the dark than tell them that you know this is happening because your pleasure uh, would reduce in that state.
2: Yeah, um, I so hedonism actually I I think um, can apply a, to a lot of people preparing for like exams because if you study, I mean unless you actually enjoy study, which is bad on its own. I'm just saying but if if you study then let's say your pleasure content reduces but is it worth that so i like hedonism in my opinion like i i don't agree with hedonism because it doesn't justify future consequences because if i don't study for the exam then i will fail it later which would be worse for me in the end so i don't really agree with that living in the moment idea but i still think it's kind of applicable because a lot of people tend to do that including myself sometimes.
0: Yeah and I think that the only argument they pose is that um, pleasure is a motivator for life yeah Um, and that if you didn't have if you didn't feel some sort of pleasure you won't be motivated to continue moving forward but um, that's really it's not a well-formed argument because um, there's, there's that whole idea of without ups and downs in life, you won't appreciate where you are, right? So you have to have some sort of discontent to move forward.
1: But I think in life, we always have choices, right? Like, I don't think you ever come across a situation where you have to do something or you don't have another alternate option. So I feel like if something is, it seems unattainable and it doesn't seem like it's worth your time, or you feel like you're not cut out for it, then Technically, that's only causing you pain with no actual outcome. So, I mean, I do agree with cynicism, sorry, uh, hedonism to a point, but I do think that you do have, like, it's not cowardly to pull back from an option because it just doesn't seem to advantage you. And any other way, but probably carrying emotional baggage. Mm -hmm. Because I think, I mean, that is the whole point of our existence, right? We do live to have a comfortable life, whether it comes from materialism or whether it comes from the people around us.
0: Is that the purpose of life though? To live a comfortable life? Is that what you think?
1: I don't personally agree with it. Like I don't want to like live in a comfortable life. I do like challenges, but I think there does come a point in everyone's life where you just want to not constantly struggle for something. You just kind of want to feel content with what you have. It may not be a long-term goal, but I think everyone strives to have those episodes in their life.
2: So like one thing I have about hedonism is that it's sort of that though. It's a struggle for the next pleasure, right? So like, let's say I I want to eat chips right now. So that will increase my pleasure content, right? Then the next time I want to eat chips, I want to do something more like have a pizza. So that's another pleasure content that I have to fill. So I, I don't know if it's, really as applicable as to the struggle of realism where you are constantly pushing yourself but at the same time even hedonism is pushing yourself to another pleasure which might be a good thing as in you might be more motivated to gain that next pleasure at the same time it's not considering what will happen after that pleasure because it's kind of a short-term period with realism at least or like with normalism, at least Mm -hmm. it's like the pleasure you're attaining is still long-term you will reap its benefits for a longer period of time but with hedonism it's kind of like okay cool i ate a pizza great now what do i do next so that's sort of what i just go against when Mm -hmm. when i hear about hedonism because i still think it's more temporary than permanent makes
0: sense i i totally agree with it because um the thing is that if you're constantly running after the next source of pleasure everything below that is not enough pleasure for you
2: yeah exactly like in addictions also right that's kind of how it works like you move on to the next drug after Mm -hmm. the old drug isn't satisfying you enough
0: are you up your dosage yeah that's what hedonists do they keep upping their dosage but you don't shift to something new, right?
2: Well, so is upping the dosage good?
1: Either way, shifting to a new drug isn't good either,
2: right? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying.
0: Stay tuned in for the next episode with perkit Kishore.